Hey, you could be listening to next week's episode right now. Subscribers to But Wait There's More get early access every week. They enjoy ad-free episodes, ad-free archives, and they get bonus episodes every month. Just go to Apple Podcasts and enjoy your seven-day free trial now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I worked for three different advertising agencies in my career. Two were part of large global advertising networks. The third was independent. That shop was a very different experience. There was no holding company lording over the ad agency, no long-distance bureaucracy. That independent ad agency offered a nimbleness conglomerates could never match. As a result, the work ruled the award shows. If you work at an indie shop, you know what I mean. And if you want to know more about what's going on in the world of independent agencies, go to IndieAgency.News. It's the member-led place where independent advertising agencies gather, meet, and grow. And there's an Indie Agency News show every day at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. IndieAgency.News tells you what's happening in the indie agency world. Campaigns and agencies are highlighted. Interviews with owners, leaders, and creative people show indie thinking. One more thing. If you're a marketer, IndieAgency.News is the place to find your next agency. Become a member. Go to IndieAgency.News and long live indies. This is an apostrophe podcast production. In 1965, Keith Richards was lying face down on his bed in London, England. He had passed out after a night of partying. When he woke up in the morning, he noticed that the new cassette tape he had put in the Philips recorder he always kept beside his bed had run out to the end. So he rewound it and listened. There, he heard two minutes of an interesting guitar riff. He didn't remember writing the chords, but he must have woken up from a dream and recorded it. He knew that because when he played the tape back, 
he could hear himself grab his guitar, play the riff a few times, and drop the guitar pick, which was followed by 40 minutes of snoring. Eventually, he gave the tape to Mick Jagger and asked him to write the words. Richards didn't think the song was commercial enough for a single, but he was outvoted by the band, and the song was released. I Can't Get No Satisfaction became the Rolling Stones' first number one record, staying at the top of the North American charts for four weeks. While the theme of the song was alienation, the subject matter was marketing. When the band came to America, they could not believe the relentless commercialization and advertising hype they were subjected to. As Jagger later said, coming from Britain, they had never seen anything like it. Jagger sang about listening to commercial pitches, but never finding satisfaction, and used actual lines from ads he had seen. Satisfaction kicked the band into the stratosphere. It has since been celebrated as one of the best rock songs in history, ranking number two in Rolling Stone magazine's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. While the Stones railed against marketing in that song, they were to become one of rock's greatest marketers. And as we pick up our story here in part two, we discover the next wave of marketing rock and roll wasn't fueled by the music. It was jet-powered by technology. You're under the influence. It all began with a monkey. In 1977, Mike Nesmith, formerly of the Monkees, wrote a solo tune called Rio. His record company asked him to create a promo clip for the song. So Nesmith shot a short video that showed him on a horse, singing into a 1920s microphone, dancing at a party, flying through space, and landing on a beach in Rio. It was kooky and funny with only the loosest of storylines. And it wasn't at all what the record company had asked for. They expected a short film of Michael Nesmith standing in front of a microphone singing his song. As Nesmith recounts in the excellent book I Want My MTV by Craig Marks and Rob Tannenbaum, he presented the record company with something they had never seen before. Instead of the images driving the narrative, the song did. And it didn't matter if those images lacked continuity or seemed disconnected. It just worked. And it was a profound conceptual shift in filmmaking. No one knew what to call this new kind of promo clip. Some called it a video record, others an illustrated song. But whatever it was called, it managed to get aired in Australia, where Rio went to number one. That success prompted Nesmith to approach Warner Cable Television executive John Lack with the idea of a television program dedicated to playing music videos. Nesmith called the idea Pop Clips. John Lack was a pioneer in cable television. I worked with John a few years later when he launched The Amazing Video Machine in Canada. Prior to that, he had developed The Movie Channel, ESPN2, 
and Nickelodeon. Lack was intrigued by Nesmith's idea, which he called a video radio station. So he paid Nesmith for the Pop Clips concept and put a pilot on Nickelodeon as a test. And every time it aired, the phones rang off the hook. That convinced John Lack that the time was right for a 24-hour all-music channel. But how John Lack presented the idea of music television to his board of directors was very telling. The pitch had nothing to do with music videos and everything to do with marketing. At that time, there was no programming aimed at the 12- to 34-year-old television audience. If advertisers wanted to reach that market, they had nowhere to spend their money. But a music television channel could deliver that audience. That would cause three important things to happen. One, cable providers would be able to sign up thousands of new customers as this music channel would only be available via cable. Two, they would also be able to sell secondary cable connections for kids' bedrooms and basements because parents wouldn't want rock music blaring in their living rooms. And three, advertisers would flock to the station. The only thing Lack needed to pull all this off was music videos. Free music videos. So he approached all the record labels and asked them to provide music videos at no charge and got immediately turned down. The record industry was in a slump and they wanted to be paid for their content. But they couldn't ignore the exposure the music channel would give their artists, and the bands pressured the labels to get on board. So eventually, reluctantly, the labels agreed to provide the videos for free. On August 1st, 1981, MTV was launched. The station featured VJs, not DJs, and the first VJ the world laid eyes on was Mark Goodman. This is it. Welcome to MTV Music Television, the world's first 24-hour stereo video music channel. The best of TV combined with the best of radio. Now, starting right now, you'll never look at music the same way again. And we never did. The very first video MTV chose to play was not a hit, but rather the very symbolic Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles. In order to keep the record labels on side, MTV had to prove that videos sold records. So a few weeks after the launch, they sent a team to Tulsa, Oklahoma to see if the music channel was having any effect. Tulsa just happened to have one of the biggest concentrations of cable subscribers. The first thing the team discovered was that record stores there had sold out of the latest Tubes album. And MTV was the only place playing the Tubes. Next, a local radio station told them they had to change their format because suddenly listeners were requesting songs they saw on MTV. Then the record store said, oh my god, now we're selling out of Buggles albums. That's when everyone realized the one-two punch of MTV. Exposure on MTV led to radio airplay and together, both led to record sales. While all that was good news, the music channel had another big problem. It had no revenue. Advertisers were still staying away. MTV was burning through its startup cash, and staff worried it might be shut down before it really got going. So MTV hired adman George Lois to create an advertising campaign to get the music channel on the map 
with Madison Avenue. Lois, an original madman, suggested the slogan, I want my MTV. He figured kids would use that phrase to bug their parents to subscribe. And when enough homes signed on, advertisers couldn't ignore the music station any longer. Then Lois said he needed a big rock star in the launch commercial. And he wanted Mick Jagger. So MTV sent Les Garland, the head of programming, to negotiate with Jagger. Garland's pitch was simple. All Jagger had to say on camera was, I want my MTV. Mick said sorry, the Stones don't do commercials. But Garland said he noticed that Jovan Fragrances had sponsored the Stones' recent tour and that the sponsorship had involved a lot of advertising. Jagger protested, saying the reason they did that was because they got paid a lot of money. Garland said, So what you're saying, Mick, is that you do commercials for money. Which got a small laugh out of Jagger. Then Garland said, We don't have any money. But if this is about money, Mick, I'll give you a dollar. And threw a dollar bill on the table. Jagger looked at it, smiled, and said, I like you, Les. I'll do it. And with that, MTV was saved. I want my MTV. Once Jagger was in, that meant Billy Idol was in. I want my MTV. And Pete Townsend was in. I want my MTV. And David Bowie was in. I want my MTV. And the police were in. I want my MTV. And Pat Benatar was in. Call your cable company and say, I want my MTV. And viewers did. With their favorite bands endorsing MTV, subscriptions exploded, ad revenue started to pour in, and the music business changed forever. The videos were like ads for the artists and songs, and those ads played over and over again. MTV made another lasting impact on the music business. It ushered in branding. Now an artist's popularity didn't just depend on the music anymore. It also hinged on their image. Bands now had to build their brands. Many argue that MTV was a marketing vehicle that valued image over talent. That fear was fully realized when top video act Millie Vanilli was discovered to be lip-syncing their songs. They were models posing as singers, and it exposed the underbelly of the new image-driven world of music videos. Yet, to refuse to do videos was to miss out on the music marketing vehicle of the era. Madonna, Duran Duran, and Bon Jovi all sold millions of records thanks to videos. New directors and editing techniques emerged, as did visual effects, vivid colors, sexuality, and odd juxtapositions that would go on to influence movies and television. MTV pulled the record industry out of its slump and became a hot TV destination as audiences sat mesmerized in front of their TVs all day long. But unbeknownst to MTV, it was about to hit the mother load. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Michael Jackson had released an album called Thriller in November of 1982. The first three hit singles had videos, The Girl Is Mine, Beat It, then Billie Jean. The Thriller album had already been on the charts for a year, and most assumed it had finished its run. But then Jackson did something that had never been done before. He shot a 15-minute mini-movie for the title song. Most video budgets hovered around $50,000. Thriller would cost half a million. It generated so much press that it became the first video MTV ever paid for. Actually, they paid a quarter of a million dollars for a 45-minute documentary on the making of Thriller, which culminated with the 15-minute video. It would become the most successful video in MTV history. Thriller played every hour, complete with a countdown to each airing. MTV had taken an album that was already a year old and turned it into the best-selling album of all time. And with that, MTV proved once and for all that technology was the new rock star. When the internet arrived 10 years later, Digital technology turned everything upside down. Suddenly, bands could market their music directly to fans. The need for a middleman became less important, and record companies struggled to stay relevant. The internet also allowed for file sharing, so fans could access music without paying for it. That led to a high-profile lawsuit where Metallica not only sued file-sharing site Napster and three universities for allowing students to trade MP3s, but they also sued 20 of their fans for illegal distribution of their music. The upheaval in the music industry turned ugly and out of control. Then, in January of 2001, Apple introduced iTunes. iTunes imposed a sense of order for the online music world. Steve Jobs believed that people didn't inherently want to steal music. 
So Apple charged 99 cents per song, or $1.29 if the song was a hit, using, of course, the pricing psychology of nines. Bands like U2 did more than put their songs on iTunes. They leveraged it to market their music. Apple issued a special black and red U2 iPod in 2004, and Bono offered up U2 for an iPod commercial. Bob Dylan did a free TV commercial for iPod just to get the exposure for his new album, Modern Times, which resulted in his first number one record since 1976. Billions of downloaded songs made iTunes the number one music retailer in the world, complete with its own music chart. Then, in 2005, technology recorded its next historic beat. It was called YouTube. YouTube founder Javed Karim stated that one of the inspirations for YouTube was another member of the Jackson family, not Michael, but the infamous Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction on the 2004 Super Bowl. He had trouble finding a clip of it online, and that led to the idea of a video sharing site. The impact of YouTube on the marketing of music was unprecedented. Maybe the most indicative story is Canada's own Justin Bieber. He was discovered on YouTube. His mother had uploaded a series of videos so friends and family could see 13-year-old Justin singing. One, like a dream come true. Two, I just want to be with you. Three, girl, it's plain to see that you're the only one for me. The videos caught the eye of a manager who introduced him to Usher, and the rest is history. While the Beatles were watched by 73 million people that night on Ed Sullivan back in 1964, YouTube makes that number seem quaint. Bieber's video for his song Baby has now reached over 940 million views, making it the second most watched video in YouTube history. And thanks to YouTube, Bieber now ranks third on the Forbes list of celebrity earners at the tender age of 19. The Biebs returned the favor by introducing Carly Rae Jepsen to his manager, and a video for Call Me Maybe was put on YouTube. Views as of this writing, over 500 million. The song has topped the charts in 19 countries. But those eye-popping stats pale compared to the music video for a virtually unknown Korean singer named Psy. Gangnam Style has been viewed over 1.8 billion times, making it the most viewed YouTube video in history. In 2011, YouTube launched its own weekly music video chart called the YouTube 100. Then, in 2013, Billboard couldn't ignore the marketing power of YouTube any longer and started including YouTube viewer counts in its calculations. Not only that, but views from user-generated clips using the audio from YouTube music videos are also factored into the Billboard charts. Technology was now delivering the exposure, the record sales, and breaking music news. Again, as we show live pictures from the UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles, again, NBC News reporting that Michael Jackson has died, 50 years old, from Gary, Indiana. When Michael Jackson died on June 25, 2009, 
So many people searched his name at 2.45 p.m. that Google actually thought it was under attack. When the Beatles eventually stopped suing Apple computers for trademark infringement of their Apple record label, a suit that began, by the way, in 1978, the Fab Four finally began marketing their music on iTunes in 2010. That news broke on social media. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram became vital marketing vehicles for artists to stay connected, becoming the fan clubs of the 21st century. As of this writing, seven of the top ten people with the most Twitter followers are music artists. Katy Perry is number one with 48 million. Mr. Bieber is number two with 47,500,000. And Stephen Harper is hot on their tail with 390,000. Then came apps. Now bands could connect with fans not just through websites, but with their smartphones. One of the most interesting examples of an app-driven marketing campaign came courtesy of none other than the Rolling Stones. The band released a special box set commemorating their recent 50th anniversary. It was titled Grr, and the cover featured a gorilla sporting the famous Rolling Stone tongue logo. When you downloaded a special app, you could use it to see a remarkable augmented reality marketing campaign. On five continents, in 50 cities, and using over 3,000 tagged landmarks, such as Big Ben in London, the Sydney Opera House, and Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, you could aim the app and see a virtual 3D King Kong-style gorilla climbing those very buildings. Followed by a montage of Rolling Stones footage and a button to buy the new album. The Septuagenarian band, who had their first number one hit with Satisfaction back in 1965, had pulled off the biggest global augmented reality marketing campaign to date. And it all began with a monkey. As Keith Richards once said, since Elvis in 1956, rock and roll and television never really hit it off. All that changed with MTV. It brought new exposure to artists at a time when the record industry was in a slump. And for better or for worse, it also brought branding to popular music. And bands suddenly had to sell their image as well as their talent. But MTV's effect wasn't fleeting. As the book I Want My MTV points out, if an artist's peak coincided with the golden age of MTV, chances are those artists are the few remaining ones that can still sell out arenas today, like Madonna, U2, Bon Jovi, and Springsteen. Technology was the new star in marketing rock and roll. Apple sold 275 million iPods in its first nine years, which is more than the number of records sold by Elton John, Aerosmith, ACDC, Pink Floyd, and U2 in their careers. YouTube, the continuum of MTV, now gives artists more eyeballs than the heady days of the Ed Sullivan Show. 
and social media lets those artists connect directly to fans in ways that seemed unimaginable only a few years ago. Yet, while technology has completely revolutionized how rock and roll is marketed, the basic underpinning remains unchanged. Technology promotes artists, songs, touring, fan clubs, and merchandise. A blueprint first sketched out on the back of a napkin by a carnival barker named Colonel Tom Parker way back in 1956. After all these years, it's a strategy that still has us all shook up when you're under the influence. I'm Terry O'Reilly. Hey, Terry. It's Ari Posner calling. Well, I definitely learned a few things about marketing music from this episode. Clearly, you gotta be bold and grab opportunities. Oh, by the way, can you change the credits on the show from theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner back to theme music by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre? It's a little more catchy. Under the Influence is produced by Debbie O'Reilly. Sound engineers, Keith Ullman and Jeff Devine. Research, James Gangle. Theme music by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.